Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions, from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science. We'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Welcome back to the Keto Naturopath. This is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. This is now the third part of COVID-related podcasts. And now I was going to go over basically our list of supplements, some that I have been taking for me specifically, and then the general recommendations, where they came from, why you might consider doing this. In the next podcast, by the way, I'm going to go back to various predispositions the populations have and look at some of the not too esoteric theories, but just things that, and I'm not disputing anything, by the way, this is nothing controversial to put the ultimate disclaimer on all this. This is all about me or us and what we're doing. So I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm not your doctor. How's that for a disclaimer? Let's start from the top. It's going to be sort of a stretch. And so before we got COVID, got tested for COVID and that whole process of getting tested, waking up, in essence, the process for getting tested locally, finding out how to do all that. We were taking supplements, and we do take supplements. I personally, oddly, have an issue against being overly concerned with taking supplements, except in specific situations. COVID would be one of the ones, one of the situations that I would be concerned about. So I tend to be a little more supplement-oriented now given the fact that we have this virus among us, between us, on top of us, etc. And so ordinarily, I take very little on the way of supplements and I really try to just keep it down to food. And it's not so much that I'm a purist. I just don't want my life to be tied down with one more thing that I have to do. Do I think that supplements make my life healthier? It depends on if I feel I'm exposing myself or I have some sort of deficiency. So ordinarily, I don't feel I have great deficiencies in any part of my life, given what we know about vitamin, minerals, and fats, et cetera, et cetera, you know, essential proteins and so on. Pretty well balanced. And that's pretty much always been the case. However, when a flu goes through town, you tend to amp up on things that you know will support that. Then you back away from that protocol, if you will, that slew of things that you would take. And a lot of these recommendations, by the way, this is pretty much an unaltered recommendation I put up on our Facebook group back in March, not changed at all. At that point, it was like, gosh, do I put this up? Are they going to shut down the Facebook group if I do this? 
ends up all these things have now been mentioned publicly in, uh, if not Dr. Fauci, then others. So it's been that sort of, yeah, this is what everybody should be doing, kind of like. Through my experience of 20 years of practice and even back into medical school in the 90s, most of this was being done then as well. Vitamin D was not done in the 90s. Vitamin D really didn't become popular until 2005, 6, and then on from there. It was still like, what? We take vitamin D? Even though back in the turn of the previous century, in the pandemic, and the TVs, what did they do? They put people in solariums and they put them out for sun in the solariums, fresh air and sun, and the sun was about vitamin D. And they had already acknowledged there was an association with vitamin D deficiency and those who had the worst outcomes were TB. So that's not new. But the fact that you had various kinds of vitamin D people could take, that did evolve into what we're taking now. So let's start at the top. The idea, I'm not going to get into much sheltering in place. I do believe in our culture, I'm now in North Carolina, which is kind of a semi-laissez-faire, that is... Some follow it, some don't follow it, some, you know, want to be like Oklahoma and not give a hoot about any of the things that Fauci says or any of the CDC. So we tend to shelter at home. We do go out twice a week to go work out at a gym early in the morning. We're there six and we usually leave about 7.30. So we're in and out in the early group and that minimizes our exposure and we clean the equipment as we go. So that's part of our life. And the other days, in terms of exercise, though not in this last week or two or three, we would actually do a number of HIIT exercises, which we can do by video that I posted in our group often enough, and we put in a good half hour of HIIT, uh, three days a week, two days a week, HIT, high-intensity resistant training with weights, and that's been our kind of routine on the exercise side in terms of getting out of the house and so on. Okay. Yeah, when we go grocery shopping, we do wear our face mask. We certainly wore our face mask while we traveled. Supplements are, let's start with number one, vitamin C. Vitamin C was all a rage 30 years ago in uh, medical school. And then, so I'm a naturopathic doctor, so it was naturopathic medical school. So then it was, if you feel you're getting sick, you take vitamin C. And I would say, In this case, it's better to not take a buffered vitamin C. Just take ascorbic acid, which is a little more acidic, which you may feel you have a a burn. Um, And if it's too much of a stomach burn for you, then you can take the buffered, which is usually buffered with a kind of calcium. Specifically meant to be less uncomfortable for your stomach. So you take vitamin C and you would take it to what they call bowel tolerance. And that would vary a lot. So your need for vitamin C, which is a water-soluble vitamin, would go up per demand basis. And so some people got as high as 50 grams a day that they could take. I never got to that level. I was always within 10 grams a day at worst, meaning or at best, however you want to look at it, when I was sick. And so you can, it will go up. Whereas the days that you're not sick, you know, 500 to 1,000 grams, maybe a couple of grams would be pretty much all you could take before you got loose stools, before you came to your bowel tolerance. So that's always how Vitamin C has been dosed in my world, but generally on a on a recommended basis, two grams a day. And by the way, if you're taking vitamin C and you're also taking your glucose levels, your glucose levels are going to be irrelevant because vitamin C in your um, bloodstream that you're taking now is going to throw off your glucometer. So don't worry about it. 
glucose and vitamin C are actually uh, very similar in terms of their structure. So the next would be NAC, N-acetylcysteine. N-acetylcysteine has a history, and the history is actually more allopathic than it is naturopathic. And currently, it's a supplement that is being considered to be pulled out of the supplement category and strictly back into the medical category. So if you were to go to a uh, CVS or a, uh, used to call them drugstores, and a pharmacy, and you would look for NAC, you would find it in the supplement section, but also you would find it in the colds and flu section on things like a mucolist. It's a mucolytic agent, so it's always been known to break up mucus. It's a precursor for glutathione, and so that's why you are taking it. It's one of the reasons you're taking it, because your need for antioxidants goes up. You're going to, should you get the cold or flu, your inflammation is going to go up. And what do you fight inflammation with? You fight inflammation with, well, glutathione in one, because that's your most potent antioxidant in your entire body. So you're supporting that. Also, many of us, myself included, have certain genetic, genomic predispositions that we're not great at producing glutathione. We kind of run a residual low or we are slow to ramp up. We can't spontaneously ramp up our glutathione production. So for people like me, we need to support that function. So I support it for glutathione. I also support it as a mucolytic agent. It will break up mucus. So I don't have any lung symptomology at all. I've always been able to breathe. Every so often I'll get a dry cough. I mean, I'm I'm talking specifically now while we're in quarantine. But yes, I take NAC every day to keep myself dry. And if I'm not experiencing a lot of symptoms, I'm not going to just keep taking a lot of NAC, but I'll take some NAC. And if I feel I'm getting, it will also help for sinuses to an extent as well. So that's NAC. NAC serves at least two different purposes. And so what is the dose on that? The dose on that is ideally 600 milligrams three times a day. So that's 1800 milligrams a day. And it has such a safe range, dose range, that you really don't have to worry about it. And so I would buy, I used to buy 200 milligrams, but you have to get this big jug of it. Now I buy each tablet of 600 milligrams, so it's just a lot easier. There's fewer pills to take. And it's one of those things, we always take NAC when we travel, we always take activated charcoal. We may or may not take vitamin D, depending how long we're going to be away. And now, by the way, I want to go back to vitamin D. Vitamin D3 is what we're talking about. And really, it needs to be coupled with vitamin K2. And in the early days of my practice, I would actually have to give them vitamin D was only available as by itself as D3. And I would then give them drops. And so they would have to give themselves drops of vitamin K2. So um, now you can get them in the same. So we use uh, Designs for Health. Uh, You could use Thorn. You could use Pure Encapsulation. You could use Orthomolecular. And it goes on. There's a number of vital nutrients is another great company. It's not a rare and unusual combination, but you should get D3 with K2. And with that, since everybody is so magnesium deficient, taking magnesium will help with the absorption of vitamin D3. So that's how we take that. And it's not something you take willy-nilly. So you take it more in the winter than you do in the summer. But at some point, it's a good idea to get your vitamin D tested. So you know where your levels are. So you get a kind of little feedback when you feel you're getting sick. So I take vitamin D. I don't take vitamin D every day. I take 
When I was feeling myself getting sick, yeah, I took it every day. And I was taking 5,000 IUs every day. Some people take a lot higher. And there again, there is a genetic, genomic variability with this. Some people have a problem absorbing it and getting their vitamin D levels up. And that's called VDR, vitamin D receptor, the genomic problems. And you look for that in people's genome reports. I don't have that. But the thing with having people think that vitamin D is going to be a panacea, it is important. And if you're not getting any sun, which most of us aren't, and they're being careful the amount of sun that they get, you take vitamin D. If you take too much vitamin D, you will get a hypercalcemia in your blood. So you're, you will drive your calcium level up. Has that happened? Uh, that's happened to me. And, you know, back I've done all sorts of experiments over 20 years, you know, to see all this. And I had a brother who died from multimyeloma. I was concerned about his bones. And so we experimented as we went. So for the normal person that doesn't have these things, that they will increase their calcium levels and they may start actually self-inducing bone spurs. And you're going to feel wherever that's going to show up. It's usually neck or spine and so on. So it's not, and even heart problems. When you start driving up calcium as a serum level, a measurable serum level, you can put yourself into heart problems. You know, that high calcium sends muscles, i.e. heart muscles, into greater contraction. It is known, you can go into Google, go into PubMed and go uh, heart problems with vitamin D dosing and you'll see that. So that's not an unknown. So just be reasonable. I think 5,000 IUs a day is okay during periods of, if you know you're going through immune stress, i.e. COVID. But other than that, I take vitamin D twice a week when I'm not feeling sick, which is most of my life. On to zinc. Zinc is another one. I'm going to go back to cover one of the allopathic medications, which is hydroxychloroquinone, which is basically the medication you give for people for uh, malaria. It's pretty common for that. And it does have a potential problem to affect one's heart electrical system. You know, therefore it would affect their EKG wave. So that's just out there. It's not automatic, but what it does do and why it is being talked about now, and some people say, oh, it's the panacea. And I don't have the experience to speak on this to say it is the panacea or it's not a panacea. It's usually hydroxychloroquine coupled with azithromycin, which is an antibiotic, otherwise known as a Z-pack. So you put these two together. It's certainly, it's used in France a lot. It was used in Morocco a lot. And uh, it's used in various parts of this country. If you have that and your doctor gives it to you, then, and you are suffering the symptoms. So I wouldn't take it so much as a preventative. So if you're going to take these medications and think that they're the same as a vaccine, no, those are mutually separate concepts. It's about keeping your symptomology down. But what hydroxychloroquinone does is that it's, it's what they call a zinc ionopore, which means it makes holes in your various cells, your body, your immune cells, macrophages in particular. It opens it up, allows the zinc to come in, and it supports your immune system. And the zinc particularly has a way of killing viruses. Keep it real simple there. It can get real complicated. Zinc ionopore, it opens up holes and allows the zinc to get into where it's needed to go. Well, in the natural medicine world, they call it the poor man's hydroxychloroquinone would be coercetin. So coercetin is a supplement. You can get it, again, in most supplement stores for those 
in need of looking for a place to get it, we tell people to go to Wellevate. That's what people in our Facebook group use. And so there's a number of good companies out there. If you have your favorite company, go to your favorite company and get quercetin. So quercetin is also a, and it's a, an extract of various herbs and plants. And it's found in a lot of herbs and plants that it is also considered a zinc ionopore. So it opens, allows the zinc to get into uh, macrophages and be a buffer against viruses. Okay. So that's quercetin similar to hydroxychloroquine. NAC, we talked about zinc. So now when we talk about zinc, allows zinc to come in. If you just take zinc by itself, you are going to drive yourself into another problem. You heard me say zinc is good. It is good. Zinc really needs to be taken together with copper, kind of a nine to one ratio. Nine parts zinc to one part copper. You can look at that, you know, whatever form you're really getting. It's pretty common, but just don't be just taking straight zinc all the time. Because when you start taking straight zinc all the time, you're going to drive yourself into a copper deficiency and that's going to cause other problems, vascular problems, and even cerebral problems. So just be, if you're right down to being focused on zinc, know it has to be combined with copper. Melatonin, this is not, uh, melatonin is obviously a sleep aid. It's a natural hormone. Don't go nuts on this. Take the, the smallest dose as possible to help you sleep. It's not only it's supposed to be high at night and low during the day, that it's not only a sleep aid, but it's also an immune support. So there's a lot of cancer protocols that have melatonin as part of it as well. So do I take melatonin? No, I haven't taken melatonin for the longest time. It's something that every time I take it, I don't sleep that well. It's a precursor for tryptophan. Tryptophan you've heard a lot of because it's a precursor for Serotonin, serotonin you heard a lot of because we hear of the SSRIs, serotonin reuptake inhibitors. It goes down that path called the crinoline pathway, should you want to know. So, but melatonin in low doses helps a lot of people. We would certainly have it with our cancer patients. And it's one of those things you can have. I would take one milligram before you go to bed and see how that is. It's just a little bit push you into sleep. Okay, vitamin A. Vitamin A is not a fat-soluble vitamin. Vitamin A is something if you, that there has been errors, era, as in time periods, in which people would not OD, but they would take too much vitamin A. So they would call that vitamin A mineralosis, meaning hypermineralosis of vitamin A, taking too much vitamin A. And you get vitamin A through liver, and uh, certain animals have really toxic levels of vitamin A not to them, but to people who eat their livers. And polar bear, not that you have the opportunity of eating polar bear liver, but though early polar bear explorers would often get vitamin A toxicity from eating polar bear liver. Interesting that. So liver is generally really high in vitamin A, not to worry, but it's something that we need. If you're deficient, vitamin A is a windfall. So you will find in different very endemic areas that are deficient in vitamin A, usually we point to populations in very poor areas of Africa that we find when infections are running very high, they're often very low in vitamin A. So you give them vitamin A and Shazam, it changes everything. Well, that really is a relative to their diet. So for most Americans, if you're taking a multi, you probably get plenty of vitamin A. If you are also been listening to me at all in the last three years, you're probably getting enough liver and or cod liver 
oil, so your vitamin A is probably pretty good. But I was confronted with this too. When I was sick and we're out in the Jackson Hole, uh, there was a woman, another doc, by the way, an MD, who had her supplements and I didn't have all of my supplements. She said, and here you go, it's vitamin A and so on and so forth, good for your immune. She had an orthomolecular uh, supplement that had the kitchen sink in it and had plenty of vitamin A. So it was warranted in this particular situation. So that's the end of the high list of vitamins. Now I'm going to get into a few botanicals. You've heard of elderberry, try to get the unsweetened version. It's often thought about as a cough syrup. Elderberry by itself seems to, you know, it's called Sambuca. Sambucol is the product that's out there. Sambuca is the alcohol beverage, Italian alcohol beverage or, and or the Greek one. But elderberry is often soothing and helpful. Uh, research is not so much black or white, but it's not bad. A quercetin we talked about. Now, thyme is an herb. But I would say if you're really feeling lousy and you're willing to do some steaming, you get sprigs of thyme, ideally from your garden, or you can go into the grocery store and you can get it. And you bring a pot of water with maybe an inch of boiling water so it steams, get the top off. And then you put in the thyme, this is fresh thyme, into the boiling water, which is just maybe barely an inch off the bottom. It's bubbling away. Take it off the burner and put a towel over your head and you breathe in the, in essence, you're breathing in the essential oils of thyme. And that tends to be a very good antifungal. And if you're feeling lousy, it will break up your sinus congestions and other things. So speaking of oils and things you could take is that essential oils, which are droppers of essences from, let's say, eucalyptus to peppermint to spearmint to bergamot to chamomile to all these things, you name it, a thyme is also an essential oil that you find if you are taking baths, you just feel so lousy and you put a lot of Epsom salts into your bath just for joint pain. That's magnesium sulfite, by the way, which soothes the joints, soothes your muscle pain, soothes your joint pain, which you'll feel lousy. It'll go through that phase. That uh, putting in a little eucalyptus and a little peppermint, even bergamot, but mostly it's the eucalyptus will, will allow your sinuses to break up and you'll really appreciate being able to breathe again. Uh, it's kind of remarkable that it's that strong. And I think most of us experience that experience already. Okay. It is important to stay hydrated. I know it's an obvious thing to say, but when we're sick, we tend not to stay hydrated. We will be sweating more and we'll be losing more fluids. So hydrated is a big deal. When I um, lived in Norway for a couple of years, uh, saunas, which is actually a Finnish word. Sauna just simply means bathroom, by the way. Sauna, a dry sauna is something that was really helpful. It was because of what, it, what does a dry sauna do? In essence, it induces a fever in you, which actually does support your immune system. So in that critical phase, doing saunas to induce your fever for you and then go take a hot shower and then go to bed is really a great combination. I understand we don't all have saunas. We don't have a sauna. But saunas are uniquely helpful. You can also go deeper with the concept of sauna. And so the temperature of sauna would not be hot, 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 hot. It would be what they call a, a medium temperature sauna. So in the 140s to the 160 temperatures, we're not talking 190. That would be way too stressful for the body. So you get a sweat, you do sweat. And if you really want to add to that, you can add 
to a yarrow and ginger tea. So where do you get yarrow and ginger? We all know where to get ginger. So you grind that up and you put that in and you can either get tea bags. But what you're trying to do, ginger is a diaphoretic, meaning it makes you sweat. Yarrow, which is a, you'd have to get a botanical tincture for that, but now you can get that pretty much in any store. Certainly Whole Foods has both a Gaia and Herb Farm, and you can get it there and you add a few drops to that. So you now have a diaphoretic drink you're bringing in with you. And so you're staying hydrated, so you'll sweat, but you're also putting in the water you're drinking something that's going to make you sweat more. And therefore that will, the idea is going to help you fight this virus. Okay. So you have minimized your symptomology and improved your downtime by shortening that window. So saunas is a big deal and you can alter it with the yarrow ginger tea drink or whatever you want to call it. Let's stay hydrated. Certainly in terms of diet, you just got to drop the processed foods. I mean, if there's nothing else I've been about this whole time is drop the processed foods. Don't be picking out on potato chips or Doritos and so on and so forth. Don't be dumb. I would encourage you to drop the carbs as well, or at least lower them tremendously. But you really need to look at that. This is a virus, so you actually do benefit from having glucose. You know, this is not a time to starve yourself, but you get your sleep, you get your temperature up, so you induce your fevers. And when you're hungry, I would say have some veggies. If you really want to go to sweets, then have fruits, but just don't do processed foods, okay? All right then, so that is my breakdown. I'm going to go back to a note that I forgot about sauna. So for your sauna, I mentioned, I said 140 to 60 as a temperature, perhaps 135 to 60. And think about 20-minute sessions. Don't stay in there all day. Wearing yourself down is not a good thing. You just want to get your fever going, go take a warm shower, get in bed. That's you do. So if you're not sick and you're taking saunas, that's fine as well. Um, That's why they're so culturally successful and so popular. You might say that maybe sauna, what they call it in Norway, batstua, is uh, there in every public facility, there is a common sauna for men and common sauna for women you come out of the pool. I used to lifeguard in Norway for a while. And uh, it was a great feature, a great public feature. And so you would get your sauna there. I was just looking at their incidents. They've had almost like no incidents of COVID as opposed to Sweden. We'll talk about that next podcast. And maybe sauna has one of the, is one of the reasons because they were very much about get, taking their bots to it, taking their sauna. And uh, so is Finland, obviously. With that, there you go. So you now have a list of things you can do. And yes, there's plenty of, you can pop in any of these into Google to say, what are these doing? You know, is there any research? I would go to PubMed and you'll find it. Uh, Stupid websites that I would probably stay away from are uh, Medscape. Yeah, I would stay away from Medscape. Medscape has an okay research portal, but as an email, it has very pejorative things to say about natural medicine in any aspect. And they're all about allopathic medicine. They're obviously a tool for the pharmacy or have been bought out. So I hope that's helpful. And I hope you do not get COVID, but take precautions. You know, I'm not saying you need to be a nun or a priest and stay inside the whole time, but I don't think dancing in the street is the alternative either. So good luck to you. I hope this helps. Write this down. And it's certainly in our Facebook group as a PDF as well. Take care. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I just wanted to encourage you to send in your questions to drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. 
Many of you have, and so what I've done with these questions that I've gotten back to most of the people I email, but some of the questions that were so good, and if they were overlapping to other questions, I would combine them and try to put that into the topic of a podcast, either via one of the micro topics that are covered in an interview. As you know, we cover a lot of topics in any given interview or some of my own sort of reporting, if you will, on some of these issues. So please keep the questions coming. Feel free to send in an email and uh, I will get back to you. Stay listening, send in your questions, and I will definitely get back to you.